1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 32. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 to 32. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's touching here on the Lord's Supper, the communion time. And I want us to just spend a few moments there this morning and think about the meaning of this Lord's Supper, this communion that we're about to take together. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul writing says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. As Paul writes the Corinthian church and recalls the evening of the Last Supper with the disciples, he points out to the Corinthians some of the outstanding features of the purpose of sharing that meal together and sharing it perpetually until Jesus comes back. And Paul says, first of all, that the Lord said as he took the bread, this is my body, which is for you. This is my body, which is for you. We have just come through the Christmas season, and we have remembered together the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, that was not the beginning of Jesus That was the beginning of the Son of God in his earthly body that he called his tabernacle or his temple. The Son of God is eternal. In beginning, John says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with him. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In other words, He is the Creator, and in Him was life, and that life is the light of men. So the eternal Son of God has existed with the Father and with the Spirit forever, in both directions. But he took upon himself a body. 
if we could just imagine what it is, what it was like for God to enter into this body that the Holy Spirit had prepared for him and implanted in the womb of Mary, that the, the eternal Son of God should inhabit an infant body and be born in humble circumstances and live among us in the flesh. He said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've come that you could see the Father. I've come to be the example. I've come to show you what God is like in terms that you can understand. And I've come to prove to you that I know how you feel. That I understand your weaknesses. That I am sensitive to your needs because I have walked in this body. You see, God knows everything. He already knew our weaknesses and our needs and how we feel. But we have a hard time getting hold of that. How could God understand us? He's God. But Jesus said, I have taken on this flesh that I might prove to you that I know what you're going through. That you could see my life and know how it is. That you don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with your weaknesses, but one who's been tested in all points, just like you. And yet he has remained strong and not sinned. And he can help you in your time of need. Not only that, but he took that body of his that as a man, but without sin, he might become the sin bearer and carry to the cross all of our sin. That in that body he could be nailed to a cross as a sacrifice for us. That in that body he could be buried. That in that body he could come out of the grave triumphantly resurrected. And that as he met with his disciples after appearing to them for 40 days after the resurrection, standing one day on the hillside outside of Jerusalem, as he was talking to them, he began to rise off of the ground and, and, and ascend up into the sky. And the disciples were like, And all of a sudden, as Jesus was appearing or disappearing out of their sight, angels appeared and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into the sky? This same Jesus, this bodily Jesus, that just is rising out of your midst, will come again someday in the same way. And he will put his feet back on this earth. And he will be king of kings and lord of lords. So go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, because he's coming again. This bodily Jesus. Do you realize that our Lord Jesus took the body on of our flesh, not just for 33 or 5 or whatever years, but he accepted it forever, that he might be made like his brethren in all respects, and that we always might recognize him who died for us. So when he took the bread, he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is 
for you. I've taken this body for you. He didn't need it. It didn't add to his glory. It didn't enhance his deity. He was totally self-sufficient as Almighty God. He took it for you. That you would know. And that he could die in your place. And that he could come out of the ground in resurrected glory. So that we can follow him in that process. This is my body, which is for you. So every time you eat the bread, remember me. Remember me. And then the scripture says, after the supper, he took the cup. And as he took this special cup and held it before them, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this cup, also remember me. My friends, Jesus was saying to his disciples, You have lived all your lives under Judaism. All your lives you have lived under the law, the the scrutiny of the Pharisees. You have lived under the the, uh, burdens of the laws of Israel. You have struggled against sin and fought a losing battle, and you have often come to the temple in your failure, under the power of the law, realizing that you're in trouble. But I want you to know that this day, I'm setting aside the old covenant. Now, both Paul and the writer of Hebrews remind us that you cannot break a covenant, really, a covenant before God without a death, but he died to break the old covenant. And he shed his blood to seal a new covenant. To make a transition with God, whereby a new covenant would be inaugurated. And what he did was, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, is that as he died there on the cross and spilled his blood out for our sin, as the covering and cleansing for our sin... And said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up his spirit and died. The writer of Hebrews tells us that he took that precious blood and went to the heavenly tabernacle and poured it out upon the mercy seat and sprinkled it there. The Bible tells us when he said, To tell us die, it is finished, that the veil of the temple on the earth in Jerusalem, Herod's temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. It was 18 feet high and 18 inches thick, this veil. Don't think of it as this sheer kind of thing. I mean, it was heavy curtains and and tough material to separate that holy presence of God from the, the people. And Jesus tore it in two, 18 feet high, that's higher than this ceiling, that's only 14 feet to the peak there. All the way up there, God reached out of heaven and ripped it open and said there is a new and living way to come into the holy place through the blood of Jesus. 
A new covenant has been inaugurated. Your sins are truly cleansed. You have peace with God. My Holy Spirit will come and live in you. That's the new covenant benefit. You don't have to do this on your own anymore. I'll do it in you. I'll do it through you. I'll be with you intimately in your tabernacle. I will live. This is the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so as you drink this cup, remember, this is the new covenant in my blood. And I have purchased it for you. And it is yours. You don't have to live under the, the, the sense of failure and doom. You don't have to try hard to be a good Christian on your own. You don't have to struggle against your flesh in a failing battle to try to be godly. I will live in you with all your sin removed and fellowship with God open. I will walk with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll empower you. I'll live my life through you. And you can walk with me as friend to friend. A new covenant in his blood. Praise God. And so Paul comes back to us into the Corinthians and he says, So as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And every time we come to this table, friends, every time, we are looking back and we're looking forward. Every time. We're remembering what Jesus did. But in that remembrance is the awareness that he's coming again. And that one day Jesus will set foot on this earth again. We're living in the in-between time. But glory is coming. You know, and this crazy world looks pretty goofy right now. I have no idea what's what's coming next. Neither do you. It's, It's all kind of things happening in Israel. All kind of things happening around the world. Uh, the economy is a disaster, and, it's, and it could get worse. And all of these things are up in the air, but this we know. Our God reigns, and one day he will reign upon the earth, and we're on his side. We have no fears in that ultimate sense. So Paul says, when you come to the table... You need to have a certain attitude about you, a certain spirit about you. Because he says, if you eat or drink the cup in an unworthy manner, you are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, how is it that you, you receive communion, that you observe the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? I think, quite honestly, The easiest way to do that, not that I'm recommending the easy way, but I think the easiest way to do that is just to do it mindlessly. Just to go through a ritual. Just to be religious this morning and take communion. We're encouraged to think about what we're doing. We're encouraged to appropriate afresh the body and blood of the Lord for ourselves. I'm not suggesting for a heartbeat that the the bread in these trays or the juice in these cups becomes the body and blood of Christ. 
as in transubstantiation. But I want to remind you that Jesus said to his followers, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have a part of me. And what he was saying was that we must consciously be aware that we need him in our lives. That we derive our life from him. You remember what I quoted from John's Gospel opening verses just a moment ago? In him was life, and that was, I wish I could say it in English, except it just comes out southern, was, but the Greek uses a, a, a verb form that means eternally, forever, always being life. In him was life. The life is the light of men. And he offers it to you. So do not, first of all, take the Lord's Supper mindlessly, routinely, ritualistically. But take it thoughtfully as you hold the bread. Think of his body, which is for you. And as you hold the cup, think of his shed blood that did away with the old covenant, cleansed your sin, gave you peace with God, and inaugurated a new covenant. You have his spirit inside of you because of that blood. The other way that Paul brings up in these verses that we can take the Lord's table in an unworthy manner is to have unrepented, known sin in our lives that we will not address. And Paul says you need to judge yourself. Listen to these words. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink the cup. Now, when Paul says you must examine yourself, I want to hasten to say that what he means is you must take the initiative, but don't do it alone. Do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because you will not be an accurate judge of yourself. You must take the initiative. You must invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to turn the light of God upon the recesses of your life. And examine the corners and the closets and under the bed. But let the Holy Spirit interpret what he finds. Because guilt is a funny thing and so is innocence. We have an amazing capacity to rationalize things that are really very disappointing to God. And at the same time, because of our families and our history and our culture and our experiences, we have a tendency to feel guilty for things that are in no way sin. That God does not take issue with. But they sully our conscience because a conscience is not a perfect thing. The Holy Spirit is, but our consciences are damaged. They're, they're a part of the fall. And when I'm talking about the fall, I'm talking about the, the, the sin of man and, 
and his decline into sin, our consciences are damaged. And as a consequence of that, we can trick ourselves into taking lightly what is serious and taking seriously what doesn't amount to a hill of beans. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit. But you must take the initiative. And this is what Paul says. For he who eats and drinks, eats and, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Now, I want to say very clearly, because some people really get hung up on this passage, that Paul is not saying everyone who is sick or weak or has died is because they're a sinner. Well, we're all sinners. But it's not because they particularly sinned. Paul had all kinds of struggles in his life, including a thorn that he could not get rid of, despite his prayer. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. John chapter 16, he said, in fact, you're going to have a lot of trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Do not make the mistake that, that all the Jews made in the time of Jesus, and, and, and even now. Can I say this without getting in trouble? Most Christians, and nearly all the Catholics make this mistake, and almost all of the Muslims. They feel like God's sitting up there, waiting to do the smackdown, the minute you do something wrong, and if you've got trouble, it's... Well, obviously, because you sinned. So you better figure out what your sin is. Because God is angry with you. Whoa. Not true. Not true. People who love the Lord, who are walking in obedience to Him, get sick, get into accidents, have financial catastrophe, lose their jobs, lose their health, have problems, spouses leave them, all kind of things happen because they have an enemy who hates their guts and because they're following Jesus whom to follow means a certain amount of tribulation in this life in and of itself. Plus, we live in a world that's fallen, and we are all subject to the natural problems and disasters of human beings. So I want to say very clearly up front that Paul is not saying that if you have problems in your life, if you're sick, if you're weak, won't help to say if you died, because you wouldn't be here. But if those things... It's not 100% because you've sinned. Particularly in some way that has caused God's judgment in your life. But what he is saying... Is if you're sick, if you're weak, if you're in trouble... 
Before you draw any other conclusions, the first thing you should do is go to God and say, God, is there any chance that this has to do with something you're trying to draw attention to in my life? And God may very well say no. You know, Paul went to him with his thorn in the flesh three times. Okay, God, if this is not you know, discipline for me. Would you mind getting rid of this thing? And Paul says, uh, God says, no, Paul, I want to show you a different way to trust me. So, so just learn to trust me. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And finally, after the third time, Paul said, okay, I'll accept it. Remember the disciples who went to Jesus? I, I'm always amused at their question. I don't even know if they thought it through. Well, obviously they didn't. Most of us get our mouth in motion before our minds in gear. But they said, you remember the guy born blind that Jesus was about to heal? And the disciples said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And you, and you think, I guess it's theoretically possible to sin in the womb, but I can't imagine how you would do that. Who sinned that he should be born blind? Him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither one of them. Now, he wasn't absolving them of all sin either. What he said is there is no cause and effect relationship between him being born blind and his parents' sin or his sin. Get that crazy Jewish stuff out of your mind. In fact, God is going to get glory out of this situation right here now today. Wow. So I want you to know up front that if you're sick, if you're weak, if you're in trouble, if you've had reversals in your life, it does not mean necessarily that you have caused them by some rebellion in your life. You may have inadvertently caused them by following Jesus and the devil hates you. Or you may just have had some fallout because we live in a fallen world. But we ought to ask the question, Lord, is there anything in my life that you want to put your finger on? And is there any chance that some suffering in my life is because I'm being hard-headed and not hearing you? And I want you to get the last verse, 32, in order to put this in the right perspective. When we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Friends, we spent... Almost two years in Romans. Do, do you get it really? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 There is no condemnation. If you know Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you. And God deals with us in a way as his children... Because we're not going to suffer the condemnation along with the rest of the world. The world's condemned already because it's not believed. But now you, you've trusted him. So there's no condemnation for you. Did you know, 
I remind you again because it's so much on our hard drive. Did you know that God never judges a child of His in terms of punishment? God will never punish you for sin. You know why? Because He punished Jesus on the cross. And there's no more punishment for you. That's, amen. See, that's all taken care of. Remember back when you were a child, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe you didn't have, maybe your parents didn't fit this. I'll always be careful when you go there, but just, just think about it for a moment, you know. After the deed is done, and the spanking or the restriction or whatever's done, now you and your mom or you and your dad are buddies again. You know, and they say, okay, let's figure out how not to get into this problem again. Okay, do you remember something like that? Or maybe that didn't happen to you. Maybe it was just, whack! Shave up! I don't know. But, but God is coming to us saying, we've already dealt with the punishment thing. That's off the table. I'm your friend now. Okay, I I am for you. You don't like that. I don't like it. But I'm on your team. I'm on your side. I've given you my spirit. So here's what we need to do. You need to learn how to walk in victory. That's what this is all about. And what Paul is saying here is, if you will come to God and start that process, then God will deal with you lightly and work with you. But if you don't deal with it, God will do something to get your attention. You may get sick. You may have a problem. You may get a a, a reversal in your life because... God get, kind of lifts his hand back and says, Oh, that's my child, man. I picked on Scott at 8 o'clock, so I'm picking on him again, okay? He's getting double dose here. You know, Scott, man, you're not getting it. I'm going to let you hit the wall, buddy. I keep telling you not to run over there headlong, and you just not. So I'm just going to let you go this time. Because God is not after the punishment. He's after the victory. He's after the healing he wants you to get it. So if you don't say, hey God, I, I keep running into that wall and I need some help here. Then God will say, alright, this time I'm not stopping you. You can just go run because you're not getting it out. When you pick yourself up off the floor, we'll have a chat. Paul is saying, deal with it. Take the initiative. Come to God. Invite His presence into your life. Otherwise, He's going to have to do it. Lovingly, the discipline of the Lord produces the sweet aroma of holiness and of Jesus in your life. You know, and people have a tendency here to think, well, it's one of the big ten or the big six, you know. Lying, stealing, adultery, murder, 
Well, not too many of you have committed murder. None of you have committed murder. Okay. I, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I, I don't want to know. <laughs> Coveting, whatever it is. You know, we tend to say, okay, is something like that going on in my life? No, no, no. Sometimes God allows things in our lives because he's trying to get us to pay attention to far more subtle things. Are you harboring bitterness? Are you refusing to forgive someone? Well, they won't forgive me. Well, that's not your problem. But if you're not forgiving them, that is your problem. You've got to deal with that. But it's not going to hurt them. They don't even care, frankly. But it is going to hurt you. Not being a good steward of this temple that God gave you. In other ways. Um, just pursuing other gods that you don't even recognize as idols. You know, I want what I want. I'm going for it. You know, I, I'm doing that mental thing. I've got a picture of it hanging on my wall. That's my goal in life. I want that thing. Man, if you've got any pictures on your wall that don't look like Jesus, you know, you're in trouble. And God wants to take the time at his table for you to say, Holy Spirit, search my life and tell me if there's anything going on in there that you don't like. So we can get together now. I don't have to hit a wall somewhere. And if you're already in trouble or you're already sick or you've already got a problem, I don't know, 80% of the time it probably has nothing to do with any sin you've done. But some of the time that's why it's there. God has allowed it because he loves you and he wants your attention. And you should ask him. You should ask him. Am I missing something? And he'll tell you. And I, and I want to be really quick to say, too, in closing, don't do this for other people. You are not the Holy Spirit. You have to do this for yourself. Because nobody else can look at your life and figure it out. You know, you, you know about these faith healers that go, well, you're not healed because you don't have a faith. You're not healed because there's something in your life. That we know it. They don't know squat. Only you and God can do this thing. He can tell you if there's something he wants to address. And so Paul says, don't take the Lord's table lightly. Don't take it ritualistically. Don't just go through the motions. Just, oh, we had communion this morning. Yeah, wow. No. We are holding in our hands bread and a cup that reminds us that Jesus took this body for us. 
And he shed his blood for us. That we could be free in him. Dancing in the streets, man. Twirling with Jesus in glory. Walking light as a feather. In guilt-free bliss. Living triumphantly. With a merry heart. Man, don't miss it. So hold the bread and hold the cup and invite the Holy Spirit to examine your life and thoughtfully receive the Lord's table. Come to that table with mindfulness and let the Lord bless you. Let's just take a moment so that you can do that very thing before we receive these elements of the supper together, the bread and the cup. I'm going to give you just a moment to pray quietly where you are. Invite the Holy Spirit to search your life. And then I'm going to pray for us. Father, as you know, I was cleaning out my desk yesterday, throwing away the junk and getting ready for a new calendar year. came across a page where I had written down my values. And at the top of the page, the first value was God. You are my life. You are my priority. You are the one I love. More than any person in the universe. Lord Jesus, you are my Lord and my Master. And I purpose this day to recognize your Lordship over every area of my life do not want to take of the bread and the cup without acknowledging you and allowing you to expose to me those areas that you want to put your finger on. Not because you want to make me miserable, but because you want to make me free. That I can walk more intimately with you it is my desire. And Father, pastorally, I want to say on behalf of this assembly, there are some here this morning, like the person in the first service that shared with me, I was released today from false guilt. There are some here who are carrying a guilt in their life that they haven't done anything to be guilty for. They need to be released. They need your freedom today. The Holy Spirit needs to open their eyes to see that you don't have a problem with whatever they're struggling with. There are others that, on the other hand, have been sweeping stuff under the rug and hiding it under the bed and 
They really need to get down on their hands and knees with you and let you illuminate the dust and the dirt and the crud and invite you to clean it out. You know, before you have to send the wind and blow it right back in their face. Not because you want to make them miserable, but because you love them. And so, Lord, enable us to do that. And then, Father, as we share the bread and share the cup, remind us of what you've done for us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us that he's coming again so that we don't get too deeply embedded in this world, too caught up in the things of this planet. Oh, my goodness. The world is passing away and the lust thereof. Only the one who does the will of the Father abides forever. Wean us from earthly affection. Remind us that Jesus is coming again. And Lord, may we receive with gratitude the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. I pray because I can, in the name of Jesus. He has given me his name because I belong to you, O God. In the name of Jesus, amen.